Good to see y'all. It's great to be back on Wednesday night to study the Word of God together, especially uh, the Psalms of Ascent. And tonight we're looking at Psalm 130. And I invite you and encourage you, if you would, to open your Bible and uh, we'll read it together. My wife, Rose, sends her love and her appreciation for your prayers uh, for her family during this time uh, when her mom is in hospice care. She's not been home in a month. She's been right by the side of her mom for a month now and two weeks before that in the hospital. So I've been batching for about six weeks and I'll be honest with you, I don't like it. Uh, uh, I've lost 10 pounds from my own cooking so that tells you a lot. But uh, a lot has happened since I was here last, and a lot of good things have happened. And I rejoice with you here at the point over the calling of another brother Wade. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad that you, uh, that God, in His providence, brought you together. Uh, I've. I do not know him personally, but I, I know a lot of people who know him. And I was talking to a young man today who I was his pastor when he was growing up, and uh, uh, he uh, called me about something, and we uh, got to talking about the point and about the fact that they had called uh, Brother Wade. And he said, well, he is my pastor's best friend. So I'll give you kind of a backhanded testimony. He said, he is my pastor's best friend, and he had nothing but wonderful things to say about his ministry in the church where he is and the fine job that he had done. So I, I, I rejoice in that. And that's not the only resource that I've, I've heard from that. It's a, it's a cri critical time. I've, I've been on the other end of that thing, you know, in the last many years. I've talked to a lot of pulpit committees. Uh, I, I, one of my deacons found out how to make sure that the church that was listening to me didn't call me. He could always spot them. He could see the pastor search team and he would find them after church and he would look them up and inevitably they would always ask a question about me, his pastor. And he'd say, well I tell you what, he's one of the best when he is sober. <laughs> when he is sober, he's one of the best pastors I've ever had. Well, you can tell how that went. I, I, uh, so that's an idea. If, if Brother Wade leaves in 15, 20 years, and, or, you don't, or if somebody comes to hear him, some, you remember that. Maybe somebody can pull that on him and keep him. Well, uh, the best I can figure, I have two more Wednesday nights uh, and two more Sundays I'll be, that I'll be preaching. And so we will look forward to those and uh, just are so grateful for getting to meet new f friends for eternity. And uh, we used to say when I was being discipled by the navigators, when we'd leave each other, we'd say, here, there, or in the air. So we can, uh, can kind of have that conviction that we'll either see each other again here, there, or in the air going up. So in whichever way, uh, it's God's will and plan. That's fine with me. We really appreciate you being. Well, thank you. It's been a joy for us to, to get to do this. 
Well, let's get to Psalm 130. You have your outline there. And um, the, the psalm tonight is an easy psalm to outline. Uh, actually, you could outline it in a number of ways, but I've just chosen to do it about as simply as it can be done. And I'm going to hang my thoughts tonight around four words. The first word is the word anguish. And that's found in the first two verses, verses 1 and 2. I don't know how you mark your Bible, if you mark it or write on your notes or whatever, but the first two verses is described by the word anguish. The second two verses, verses 3 and 4, apprehension, apprehension. And I think you'll understand why the choice of that word when we get there. And then verses 5 and 6 is the word anticipation. The Scripture uses the word hope, but hope is anticipation. Uh, so we're, we'll be looking in, in those two verses at the hope we have or the anticipation we have uh, for the future and for what God wants to do in our life. And then we'll close out with some advice. Uh, the psalmist in the last two verses is now in a position where he can influence others. Now, in the first six verses, he was in no shape to give advice to anybody. But once he walked through that process of bringing his anguish and apprehension to the Lord and having God to do something real special in his life, then he's ready to tell others how they can find the same hope and peace that he has found. So we'll close out with just some remarks about our uh, 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 advice or counsel uh, or witness would be another way to put it that God wants us to share with others. So let's begin by just simply having a, a reading of Psalm 130. And it begins like the last, uh, this is the 11th, Song of Ascent. I don't want to bore you by going over that every week, but I, I just want you to know how special these 15 psalms are. There are no other psalms in the Psalter that's put together consecutively like that with the same title, which simply means these psalms constitute a body of literature all their own. They are, if you will, a hymn book within a hymn book. And so we come to the 11th one tonight, and uh, Psalm 130. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark our iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is loving kindness 
and with him is abundant redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is the Word of God. Not only is Psalm 130 a song of ascents going up, but it is one of seven what is called penitential psalms in the whole 150 psalms that make up the whole Psalter. By being a penitential psalm, that simply means a psalm of repentance. It's a psalm that expresses deep sorrow over guilt and personal sin. So Psalm 130 joins six other psalms, and let me give them to you just in case you might want to to look them up and, and see the similarities. Psalm 6, Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 51, which is probably the most familiar penitential psalm in the psalm. Remember Psalm 51 was written by David right after his adulterous affair and his orchestrating the murder of Uriah. And David is feeling the weight of that sin and the guilt of that sin. And he, and he cries out, have mercy upon me O God according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my sin. And so Psalm 51 is a great psalm to, for you or anyone, any believer to use to express your own confession to God. I, I can't tell you how many times uh, David's words have become Tommy Vinson's words. And I've used them to express, it's a great thing, it's a penitential psalm. And then two more, Psalm 104 and Psalm one. Uh, Psalm 104 and Psalm 143. Martin Luther was asked what his favorite psalm was. And he remarked that it was Psalm 130. So that gives you a, a little bit of inroad into the importance of the psalm we're about to study. Uh, now uh, Martin Luther was also um, ask uh, uh, which psalms he liked the most, and he replied, I love the Pauline psalms. <laughs> now think about that. Paul wrote in the New Testament, not the Old Testament. But Martin Luther said, I love the Pauline psalms. Now what do you think he meant by that? He meant that he loved the psalms that highlighted the truth that man, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, was saved by grace through faith. You see, God has never had an Old Testament way to be saved and a New Testament way to be saved. Uh, one of the easy ways to express that is that in the Old Testament people got saved by credit card. And in the New Testament people got saved or get saved by gift certificate. But the difference is in the Old Testament the credit card would be paid later. In the New Testament, the gift certificate, it's already been paid. But we're saved the same way, by grace through faith. Now, so that's why Luther said, I love the Pauline Psalms. He loves the Psalms that highlighted 
prophetically the cross and the grace of God. Uh, one other word just out of church history for you. It's interesting to me. Sometimes history bores people. I, I like church history and, and Bible history. John Wesley, who was perhaps one of the most uh, prolific writers and preachers in the, in the 1700s, founded the Methodist church, preached an average of seven times every day, started with the first sermon at five o'clock in the morning, rode thousands of miles on horseback, and uh, came to America and traveled the eastern seaboard many times, crossed the Atlantic many times. But the amazing thing is, although he started, was, was I think ordained and licensed um, ten years before he was converted. He came to America to convert the Indians when he himself was not converted. He ran into a group of people on the ship coming to America who were called Moravians. Um, Zinzendorf was the founder of the Moravians. He was a, and they were, were spirit-filled, godly people, and Wesley saw a spiritual reality in the Moravians that he didn't have. And he, he talked with them all the way across the Atlantic. So when he got back to London after his missionary trip, on a Sunday afternoon he attended St. Paul's Cathedral. I've had the pr privilege and joy of being in that place. It's an amazing place. And they sung in that setting on a Sunday afternoon, Psalm 130. And the Holy Spirit got a hold of his heart and plowed his heart. You know, we talked last week about being plowed. His heart was plowed. And so that afternoon he, he left St. Paul's and that night he went to a street called Aldersgate, I believe, Aldersgate, to a small Bible study. And in that Bible study the Holy Spirit convicted him to the point where he repented of his sins and he says, my heart was suddenly warmed. And John Wesley was converted after Psalm 130 was sung in St. Paul's Cathedral. Now part of that is because of the very first two verses. So let's just unpackage this word anguish for just a moment. Whoa, I leaned forward and got a little volume there. All right. <laughs> anguish. Listen to the, let's, let's look at the first two verses again a little more closely. Now we don't know who wrote this psalm. There is a, there's a lot of consensus that Hezekiah wrote the psalm. And if Hezekiah did write it, he had every reason in the world to have anguish. Um, he was surrounded by Assyria, uh, he was facing imminent deportation of not just him, but the whole nation. Uh, he, that was enough to, to give him anguish. Uh, but not only that, the people of, that he was trying to govern had gone into apostasy. And they were worshiping idols. And God 
had every reason to bring judgment and discipline upon them. It could have been Hezekiah, but we don't know exactly who it was. So, and I'm kind of glad because if any of you or me or any of us, if we're going through anguish, then we can, we can listen to this as though God is speaking to He's not just speaking to this person, He's speaking to us. So listen to it like that. Listen to it like God is speaking to you. And He says, out of the depths. You see, Israel was a country that didn't have a lot of, of uh, love for the sea. They're not really a sea-going people. They're an agricultural people. Um, but, but the people of Israel are known for the fact that, that they really didn't care to be around the sea. And, and to them uh, the epitome of, of a, a bad situation would be to drown. Uh, to, be, to be in the depths of the sea. Uh, but, but here's a man who is, who is drowning in his own guilt. He's drowning in the consequences of his own sin. And, and he's at the point where he can't take it anymore. I, I wonder if you've ever been there. Have you ever been to such a place in your life I hope you have, because I kind of think God brings all who really come to salvation to the end of themselves. Now we don't all have the same baggage and we don't have the same sins to repent of, but all of us have to recognize at some point in our spiritual pilgrimage, before we can ever enter the kingdom of God, before we can ever be saved, we've got to realize that we are sinners and we're facing a holy God. And this psalmist is coming to that place. He said, out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Now his problem, I love what Dr. Rod used to say, the heart of his problem was the problem of his heart. Uh, and so he's feeling the weight of his sin. He's overwhelmed by his own personal guilt of sin. I, not long before I was saved, God brought me to this place of just being so filled with guilt that on Saturday night I would drive home from a date or, or a basketball game or whatever and I'd have to drive by Ellistown Baptist Church and just the sight of that church would stir guilt within me. And, and a lot of times it would bring tears to my eyes because I, I would know I'm going to be in that church the next morning. I went to church every Sunday morning and night uh, but I knew my heart wasn't right with God. And, and I felt that heavy, heavy sense um, until, you know, I came to a time where, like this guy did, out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. Now, uh, turn with me to the very first Psalm of Ascent. Remember, remember where it was? Psalm 120. That's the first one. And we started off, we said that, you know, it's like you start down here in the valley at your little village, at your community, and you, you come as a group of pilgrims and you're heading up to the Jerusalem and the temple. You're going up, you're climbing the staircases to get to Jerusalem. And it's a steep climb. It's a, it's a rise of, of uh, I think around 2,000 plus feet uh, from, from Jericho up to Jerusalem. So 
it's a steep climb. And I can imagine how difficult it would be. And so, but we start that climb from Psalm 120. So in Psalm 120, which is the first Psalm of Ascent, notice how it begins. In my trouble, that's distress. In my trouble, I cried to the Lord. So how do you begin this pilgrimage going up into the presence of God? You begin it by, by being distressed over your sin and calling out to God. Well, I ask this question, if this is showing our progress, then why over here in Psalm 130 are we in anguish again? I thought, now listen to this, I've heard this. Once you are saved, once you give your heart to Jesus, then all your problems are over. You believe that? If you believe that, I got some oceanfront property up in Wisconsin I'd like to sell you. No, that is not, that is not the journey of the believer. It's not that when you get saved your problems are all behind you, no. We're on in now, 11 Psalms of Ascent. We've gotten into the city, we've come to the temple, we have worshipped God. But you see, the truth is that as Christians, as believers, that doesn't mean we don't have any more problems. Don't mean we don't have any more issues doesn't mean we don't feel anguish anymore. You see, this is describing the pilgrimage of Christians, of you and me. And, uh, you know, I, it would be nice if we gave our heart to Jesus and, you know, just shifted right on into drive, right on into glory without any problems. But that is not what happens. And so he's, he's saying that to us here. And so out of this anguish, he, he is a believer, he's been a believer, but his heart is filled with anguish. So that's, that's verses 1 and 2, anguish, anguish. Uh, but now let's go to apprehension. That's the second word here, apprehension. Now look at verses 3 and 4 again, verses 3 and 4. If you, Lord should mark iniquities. O Lord, who could stand? That word stand is a Hebrew word which has the idea of endure. Who, who can endure that? But, aren't you glad for those blessed conjunctions? Martin Lloyd-Jones, great British preacher, said, I I just love the butts in the Bible. <laughs> because they always have something good, a good word. Some of you were this, but now. See? The conjunction. He says, Lord, if you numbered our sins, if you marked them, Lord, if you took notice of every one of them, and held us accountable for every one of them, none of us could endure. None of us could stand. Now, there is a sense of apprehension in that. He, he said, if you, if you attribute to my account, that's the sense here, 
if you attribute to my own, my account, my own personal sin, and you hold me accountable for them, who in the world could stand? If the Lord took his pound of flesh for every time I failed him, I would be one skinny dude. Right? I mean, if, if the Lord marked and held me accountable, then who could stand? He's, uh, he's speaking to all of us here. How many, how many sins, let me ask you a question. How many sins do you and me have to commit before we're a sinner? I see a lot of this. Well, let's look at James chapter 2. Look at James chapter 2, verse 10. For whosoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of, what's that next word? All. Whosoever shall keep the whole law. That's the Ten Commandments. Now, there are a lot of folks who have the notion that the Ten Commandments are God's spiritual, what is it when you go through Piccadilly? What do you call that? Buffet, that's right. That, that the Ten Commandments are God's buffet. I like that one. Don't want any of that one. I like this one, I like that one, but I don't like that one. So, well, how are you doing? Well, I'm making 70. That's pretty good grade. That's the way a lot of people think. <laughs> like the old man, he'd come and rededicate his life all the time. One night he told his pastor, he said, I want to give a word of testimony. He said, since I've been saved, I've quit my smoking, I've quit my drinking, and I'm doing a lot better on my cussing. <laughs> That's kind of the cafeteria style. I like this one, but I don't like that one. But you see, we're not given that uh, prerogative. That puts all of us in the same boat. We're all from the same mold. We're all sons of Adam. And we've inherited from our Father the fact that we are sinners by nature and sinners by choice. And so he's talking here about, uh, in, uh, in these two verses, he's talking about some apprehensions that he has. He says, if you were to mark our iniquities. But then he goes on to say, and I love this transition, but... <laughs> We don't have to worry about him marking our iniquities. Why? Because he says, uh, but there is forgiveness with you. Now, that word forgiveness, uh, there's a number of New Testament words and Old Testament words for forgiveness, but, but basically he's not talking here about judicial forgiveness. That's the forgiveness God forgives our sin, when we, S-I-N, when we, when we come and repent and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God forgives our sin. But he's talking here about parental 
forgiveness. Forgiveness like a father forgives his son when he offends, when he does something wrong. Now, he was still his son, but he was broken the fellowship and intimacy that he had with his father. Now, that's what this, this particular verse is talking about. There is forgiveness with God. Yes, when we were saved in Psalm 120, he was saved. That's when he began the journey. He was saved. When he cried out in distress, that's when he was saved. But here, when he cries out again in anguish, he doesn't get saved over again because it's not judicial forgiveness the psalmist is talking about. It's parental forgiveness. He's reinstating us to a place of intimacy in our walk, in our fellowship with God. You see, that's what 1 John 1.9 talks about. 1 John 1.9 is not a conversion verse. Now, God can use even that to help lead someone to Christ. But you know what it says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, that's a verse for Christians. I mean, John is writing to believers. All you got to do is read the first few verses of 1 John and you see he's addressing not lost people telling them how to be saved, he's addressing Christian people telling them how to live in fellowship with God. And so he says, if we confess, and that word confess is the Greek word uh, to say, homo legeo, to say the same thing as God says. In other words, I'm to say about my sin what God says about my sin. I'm not to hedge. I'm not to try to, to uh, lighten uh, <laughs> my sin by saying, oh God, if I have sinned in any way, please forgive me. That was a waste of breath. <laughs> We're to be honest about our sin. Okay. Uh, here, let me just give you a word about forgiveness. I, y'all are listening way too good. I meant to be through by now because it's supposed to come a storm up there. All right, let me, let me just give you a word about forgiveness, okay? The text would teach us that forgiveness is limitless, th- these verses. Forgiveness is limitless. It is for all and every sin. What did Paul say? Where sin abounds, finish that up, grace does much more abound. Man, that's a great word, isn't it? Where sin abounds. Listen, there is forgiveness for murder and adultery. You don't believe that? Ask David. There is forgiveness for swearing. Ask Peter. There is forgiveness for drunkenness. Ask Noah. There is forgiveness for lying. Ask Abraham. And there is forgiveness for whatever your sin or my sin may be. Maybe I didn't touch yours there. <laughs> Listen to what Isaiah said. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Isn't that a good word? So he's just saying there is forgiveness. Yes, if you were to mark my sins, I, I, I couldn't endure. 
I, I couldn't stand it. And, and, and the psalmist here is feeling that way. He's feeling the weight of his sin. He's just saying, Lord, I don't believe I can take it anymore. Uh, please do something. And, and the Lord says, there's forgiveness. There's forgiveness. That's a good word. Boy, I, I tell you, I, I've discovered through the years as I've preached on forgiveness, it resonates because people have a sense. They carry around so much guilt and they just need to know that there is forgiveness with God. That God didn't stop loving them when they sinned. He still loves them. Well, uh, and, and let me say, one, uh, it, it was, it, I said it's limitless. Number two, forgiveness is immediate. Uh, the verb in verse 4 is in the present tense. I don't have to wait till later, wait till I die. Um, he forgives immediately. Okay, now here's the third word, real quickly. I won't take long on this one. Let's look at verse 5 and 6 again. Uh, the, th the third word is anticipation. He just says, I wait for the Lord. That's anticipation. That means to look expectantly. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in His Word do I hope. In His Word do I hope. Now, so it's, he's anticipating. It's a cry of anticipation. And the word wait here, it means to look expectantly. Isaiah 40, 31, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now here's my question. What is he waiting for? He's waiting on the Lord. You say, well, he's waiting on forgiveness. No, he's already been forgiven. God's already forgiven. What's he waiting on? How many of you know that God forgives immediately and fully, but sometimes the results of that restoration comes later? That just because you're forgiven doesn't mean that everything's always rosy. Sometimes we have to wait for a while. Uh, David prayed in Psalm 51. He's already been saved and he's already recognized his sin of murder and adultery. He's confessed it. And th now he's saying, Lord, now would you restore? Apparently he hadn't done it yet. But you, would you restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Not restore my salvation, but restore the joy that I lost when I walked away from you. Well, waiting on the Lord, listen to this, I like this. Ooh. Uh, waiting on the Lord is not pulling up to a red light waiting for it to turn green. Waiting on the Lord is going in the direction you feel like God wants you to go until He gives you a red light. There's a lot of difference. Because some people live a passive Christian life. They're waiting, always waiting on God to bump them up, kick them down the road. Go in the way you sense God wants you to go until God gives you a red light. Even God can't pilot a ship that's not moving. You can turn the steering wheel of a ship in the harbor all you want to. It's not going to do anything until the ship moves. Then it can be directed. It's that way with a Christian life. Well, uh, that's enough. Uh, let, me, let me go to, to one more. <clears throat> and that's the last one. Um, 
ad advice. He gives him some advice. That's verses 7 and 8. <clears throat> oh Israel, here's the first advice. Hope in the Lord. See, he's found that out. He's just gone through this. He said, hey guys, ladies, let me, let me give you some advice. Put your trust in God. That's good advice. Hey, can I tell you this? Don't ever take advice from a carnal Christian. Don't. Do you remember when Ruth, when we went preached through Ruth, and Ruth decides to go back to Bethlehem? She hadn't got back to the house of bread yet. She's, she's in progress. God's working on her. She's going back, but she's not there yet. She, she's a picture of a carnal Christian. And you remember the advice she gave to Ruth and Orpha? Go back to the garbage can and marry a man in the garbage can. Hey, that wasn't good advice. Not at all. Never take advice. You're working with somebody. They had a divorce. You and your husband are having problems. You meet at the water fountain. And I tell you what, our marriage is just not what it ought to be. Well, I tell you, if I was you, I know what I'd do. I'd get rid of that joke. You see what I'm saying? Now, I, I don't know what is right for her to do in that situation. I don't know all, but I do know this. That's not the person to speak into your life. Somebody whose own family has failed and somebody who's not walking with God, they're not led by the Spirit of God, that's not the person you want speaking into your life. Now, I've only got two more sessions, so I'm, on, I'm just going to lay it on the line. But that may be a word for somebody. You need to listen to some. You know who I want surrounding my life? I want people who speak into my life things that help me be a better Christian. So the first one was to hope in the Lord. The second one is, hey, there's redemption for you just like there was for me. Look what he says in verse 8, and I'm, I'm through. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness. Ah, I'm so glad. That's the Old Testament word hesed. It's, it's a beautiful word in the Old Testament. It's the Old Testament word for grace. It means God's loving kindness. He says he, it's a, there is a, and with him is abundant redemption. Not just redemption but abundant redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. 